answer to that. So to take that first list, and I put them on a different slide here, uh, homelessness, refugee crisis, nonviolence, etc., etc. If you take that list and you think about it for just a moment, there's something you're going to notice that's central to this very idea. Ready for it? Here's why we're going to talk about elephants. Jesus. Okay? So Jesus, you realize, you go to the next slide, Jesus was homeless. Had no place to lay his head in the scriptures. He was a refugee who fled for religious reasons to Egypt and then came back later. He actually believed nonviolence so much so that he offered up his very life. He was the child of an unwanted pregnancy and was adopted by his father. He suffered at the hands of the death penalty. He was an ethnic minority that was like really dealt with unfairly and unjustly by a corrupt religious structure as well as a corrupt justice system. If you talk about any of those subjects, it is impossible not to talk about Jesus because Jesus embodied every one of those issues. Or if you go to the next list, all of those things that we've touched on throughout the last several years, again, ready? Why elephants? Jesus does these things. He was the first list. He does this list. There was never a prophet in the Gospels that was more about the equality of women than Jesus. In fact, he continuously created opportunity for people in an amazingly patriarchal society for women to lead and to exercise gifts and abilities. That he was one that dealt with racial equality over and over and over. And if you just think about Rome versus the Jews, but also the Samaritans. He was the one when everyone else walked around Samaria, he went through. He was the one that sat at the well with a woman in the middle of Samaria. He was the one that told stories of the great and the good in Samaritan, right? Care for the poor and the great, like every, um, Abigail just read about healing, right? That's the medical system. He cared about the ways people were being treated and whether they were ignored for 12 years, as the text said, or whether they were noticed. Every one of these things that we've listed are all things that Jesus was, or things that Jesus does. And you can't talk about any of these subjects without talking about Jesus. It's impossible. And you also can't ignore any of these topics and not at the same time in some way ignore Jesus. And the reason I say this is because this is the gospel. This is the good news. Like when you think of the good news, right, which is how we describe it, it is good news to everyone, right? It is good news to those that find themselves in homelessness or without food or in a corrupt system. Because the gospel in Jesus affects food and corrupt system and homelessness, etc. Right? And part of that responsibility has been given to us. A few weeks ago, I talked about the idea of reminding us what the gospel is, right? The gospel story. And then uh, I drew a couple pictures, um, and those pictures talk about your life, and at the end, many of us see it, or many people within Christianity see it as you either, at the end of life, kind of take one of two paths. And they forget that between the time that you know Jesus and 
live on the earth to the time that you kind of exit this body and you go into eternity, that that time is a time that's also about eternity and about good news as well. That your faith is not about what will happen in the future. It is, but it's also about what happens in the present. And what you and I have been given the responsibility of is what's called the Ministry of Reconciliation. Uh, it's a big word to basically say this. You and I have the responsibility to make what is happening in the kingdom of heaven look like that on the kingdom of earth, right? So may your will be done on heaven as it is, or in, on earth as it is in heaven, right? It's this idea that we actually can embody our faith in a way that transforms people and circumstances and city, all these issues in such a way that shalom, the goodness of God, the wholeness of all of creation is made right. And when we do that, God is glorified more. When we do that, more people know who He is. When we do that, we actually look like Jesus. So the short answer to why elephants, why would we take time to step away from the Gospel of John to talk about elephants, the answer, Jesus. Because in order to really address all that he did, we have to talk about him. And what better way to lean into the culture and need of answers than to be people that actually have them? All right? Let me um, transition us to communion and back into songs. Um, I think it's interesting when we, again, talk about elephants to recognize that at the very center of our faith is this expression of Christ's body and his blood. That there was a moment that many considered for evil. There was this moment that the religious, corrupt religious system, the corrupt judicial system, the fact that the death penalty was placed on numerous people, was all taking place. And in a weird and amazing way at the exact same time, it is the most beautiful thing that ever happened to us, right? So you have these two like completely contrasting ideas that are very, um, that it should make you feel like kind of at ease and at, in disease at the same time, right? Discomfort. And yet this very moment, Christ offered himself and said to us, whatever you've done, whoever you are, you're never far. And I come close, and I offer you grace, and I offer you peace, and I offer you myself. And so as we take communion this morning, as we sing, and you be reminded that you are loved, that you are valued, that you have inherent worth, and that what God desires is for you to know him and love him. So I invite you to take Let's pray. God, may we continue to worship you song, in actions, as we partake in the very taste of food, in the very taste of juice or wine, remind us um, of your goodness. May it be a tangible representation that you are with us. You've invited us into relationship. May we worship you with all of who we are in this next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, to tear up a little bit. Because that's what
welcome you here, just like we welcome you in our homes and in our homes. But here's the unique thing about hospitality. When you invite someone into your home, you're not just like doing something for someone. You're not just like welcoming, technically the word means to welcome a stranger, right? It's not just opening your life, it's also opening your heart enough to be affected by that. To be willing to learn and grow in the midst of opening yourself up. It's one of the things that's so unique about foster care um, is that like for a period of time, like for however long, like, you're opening not just your home and hospital, but you're opening your very life. And the hurts and the hopes and the dreams and all of it at the same time. And you will be changed in the process, right? And that's sort of what this is about. So, um, we're going to shift to part three. And uh, here we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, not that three different talks, it's a little bit different. But, uh, we don't typically do handouts in church. But we're going to do handouts. So, uh, coming around right now is a bunch of people. And they'll hand those out, the offering buckets will go around as well. Um, but the reason I'm giving you the handout is a couple of reasons. One, uh, I wanted to serve as like a resource for us for the rest of this year. Uh, that any time we talk about elephants, that we can kind of refer back to this resource. The second reason that I want to have it as a resource is because I'm not going to um, reread all of Romans again as we, Romans 14 through 15, 7, as we go through this section. But everything will be directly in front of you on the notes. The third reason that I'm giving it to you, what I'm going to do is highlight and just really briefly all of these points in quick succession and hopefully give you one thing to jot down under each point, okay? And so we're going to have to hit it fast. Uh, and it's not going to be as in-depth as I would like just for the sake of time. But the goal would be in small groups, um, at home as you read through it and study it, that the Spirit of God will speak to you about just going right, just straight through this section of Scripture. And the reason I bring it up is because, uh, as we said before, um, we're getting into music this year. There will be opinions and differences and discussion about a, a variety of topics. So as you discuss, it's inevitable. We did this five and a half years ago. Uh, we did a series, we did Elphins 1.0. Um, and inevitably there was discussion and debate and dialogue, but also there were a few times that people were like, ah, that's division, I don't like that, and I'm out. Um, because we haven't really been taught among in the church how to like handle difference and disagreement and discussion. So uh, Romans 14, uniquely Paul and God together collaborated on this idea of like, this is what it would look like to be in disagreement with one another and to dialogue about it rather than to divide over it. Okay, and so I'm going to quickly highlight these 12 and then uh, just give you a thought under each one. And uh, if you can in your mind, just so for the sake of time, I don't have to say it maybe at every point. Imagine for a moment that the topic we're discussing is the use of alcohol. Some people in the room would feel great freedom uh, to drink in moderation and would enjoy said beverages. Other people would feel for the sake of um, um, difficulty in the past with the use of it, or just the personal conviction to say, I prefer not. 
not to. So imagine for a moment that in each of these you're thinking back and forth between that idea. Some have the freedom to use alcohol and some choose not to or to restrict that freedom for conscience sake. And both look into that, okay? And we'll go through these really quick. Number one, those who uh, are welcome, uh, those who disagree with you, okay? That's the first point. The idea would be this. Right now, some of you have thought in your mind, well, I'm probably, uh, in that particular issue, I'm probably stronger and feel the freedom. Or some of you are like, well, I'm probably weaker and don't feel the freedom. Here's the point. I got this down. As we go through this entire set of uh, talks this year, you are going to be, at some point, probably both weaker and stronger. Right? On whatever given issue it is, some people are going to be to the right of you and some people are going to be to the left of you. Which means, every principle in this text applies to you. You can't be like, oh, I'm stronger, so that doesn't really apply to me. No, it probably does in some other issue. And the vice versa. Okay? So, keep that in mind. Uh, point two, those who have freedom must not look down on those who are strict. So basically, the person who feels the freedom to drink must not look down at the other and go, I can't believe you're so legalistic about it, right? Paul's basically, knock off your superiority, get your priorities straight, don't do that, don't look down. On the uh, opposite side, those who are strict must not be judgmental to those who have freedom. So the temptation of those who have, like, foregone that freedom, sometimes we'll look at the other person and like, oh, man, I can't believe you just flaunt that, I can't believe you just use that so inappropriately or whatever. Uh, and we're judgmental towards those who are more liberal or to those who are more free in their conscience. And in both of those, what Paul is saying, and you can look at it uh, verses, uh, verse 3 and verse 4, is basically saying, God is welcome both people. God is welcome both stances. So unless you're holier than God, everyone's welcome. Okay? That's first. Second little point under there is, you're not the master of the other believer, and they're not the master of you. So, don't look down on them. Don't look in any way judgmental. You get the idea. Next, each believer must be fully convinced of their position in their own conscience. Okay? Each person must be fully convinced of their own position in their own conscience. So, Here's the number one rule on conscience. Obey it. Okay, if you have it, obey it. It's the number one rule. But, that doesn't mean your conscience is always right. Okay? It doesn't mean it's always right, nor does it mean it's always right for everyone. Right? Because it's your conscience, not someone else's. Which means, be fully convinced of the position that you have, and live into it consistently, until the Spirit, or the Word of God, and or the community collectively help you to redefine your conscience. So let's say at some point you were in this position, and then you over time read, study, pray, think, look, you can find your way to this position. Or if you're in this one, you can find your way toward this one. Right? Does that make sense? Uh, next, everything you do or refrain from doing must be to God's glory. Now notice when you read through this, notice how generous Paul is to both sides. He's super generous. What he assumes is this, that whether you abstain or whether you uh, engage, both people are doing it fully to the glory of God. So whatever conviction you have about a said elephant, you're probably doing that to the glory. 
glory of God, and the person on the opposite side is equal to you, that's the glory of God. Again, don't judge the other like, well, I'm doing it to his glory, but you are obviously not. And just think about that for a moment. How amazing would it be to be a part of a community that every time you assume something, you always go, oh, imagine you're doing that for the glory of God. That'd be a pretty cool place to be, right? Next, uh, do not judge each other in these matters because we will all someday stand before the judgment seat of God. This one doesn't need much explanation. Before you start judging someone else, just remember, you're also going to have your entire life evaluated in positive ways by God. So do the same. Um, next, your freedom to eat meat is correct, but don't let your freedom destroy the faith of the weak. This is the number one, I think, confused idea in this context. You've probably heard it at some point if you've been around the church. Don't be a stumbling block for your weaker brother. Okay? I'll give you a quick synopsis of what I think that means. Um, that doesn't mean that uh, if your freedom irritates, annoys, uh, frustrates, or offends your weaker brother, that you just have to change what you do. Wrong. If your actions purposely put that person in a position where they would go against their conscience. So there are certain friends I would never drink in front of. And I wouldn't do it because it would like make them desire to do the same, and that would not be good for them, for their family, for their life, right? And, and for their own conscience. So I would never do it in front of them. Not because I... Now, if apart from them, and in no way tempting to them, they hear I drink over here, and they're like, man, I can't believe you do that. We're not talking about the same thing. That's not causing brother to stumble. Causing brother to stumble is this, right? Where you're including them, inviting them, provoking them into it, right? So if someone's offended, right? That's not what he's talking about, okay? Uh, disagreements about eating and drinking are not important in the kingdom of God, building each other up in righteousness, peace, and joy is the important thing. So what Paul's doing is he's arguing to the strong, when you eat or drink, it doesn't matter to God, so quit making a big deal about it, right? But when you have the freedom, sometimes you should abstain from it, just for the sake of others. That's what he's describing, right? Next, if you have freedom, don't flaunt it. If you're strict, don't expect others to be strict like you, all right? This is, again, have confidence in your conscience, okay? So if you have a strong conscience, don't flaunt it. Weak conscience, don't police it. And then here's the key. Keep both those matters to yourself. It's between you and God, right? Don't try to get into somebody else's business. Stay in your lane, right? That's what he's getting after. Uh, next, the person who lives according to their conscience is blessed. Self-explanatory, okay? Next, we must follow the example of Christ and put others first. The whole point of this is love, service. If you do that to the other, a lot of disagreement fades into the background. If you're like, well, I just... Well, let me love and serve you. Suddenly, the thing that isn't priority number one is how you feel about said topic. Alright? Um, last but not least, Romans 5 7. We bring glory to God when we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. So, Paul starts with welcome one another. You're all welcome. You're all included. And he ends with you're all welcome, but he adds two key lines. You're welcomed as Christ welcomed you. Full acceptance, full grace, full love, in everything, right? You're welcome. And then, in your welcoming, you glorify God. So as I welcome my brother and sister, even if you completely just 
Um, talk about it in a small group. Feel free to email us and talk about it. Feel free to read through it and digest what it's saying. Um, let me have a stand and we will uh, do a benediction together.